You were fortunate because last night you were not part of the um, apocalypse of FX Now being down when the entire world was planning to stream it right at 10 o'clock. Yeah, what happened? Um, I mean, I was all queued up and ready to go. And I would even watch the end of, you know, um, it was Clover, one of the Cloverfield movies, like the very mm-hmm. you know last 15 minutes because I was getting all psyched up, getting ready for it. They were showing previews in the meantime, American Horror Story coming soon. And then as soon as the... Um, you see Billy Eichner's face for like a second, I think it was. And then, like in a promo of some kind. And then it just died out. And then no one could get back on for the next two hours. And Twitter was blowing up in every which way, pretty pissed off. So what I did to watch the episode is I set an alarm for 1.22 a.m. Because I knew it was recording then, or it was going to replay again. And most people would probably not be watching at 1.22. So I went to sleep for an hour and a half and then woke up and watched it at 122. That is dedication, folks. That's my host right there. That's that's Tyler Moss for you. What the lengths he goes to to make sure that he can watch this show and get the podcast out on time is unparalleled. Look, it's the premiere episode. I wasn't going to miss it. So we go to great lengths. It was fine. I was you, all energized. Yeah. It took me a while to go back to sleep afterward. So anyway, the apoc the apocalypse of the apocalypse. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to this American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast of the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. What's up, everyone? Episode Welcome. one. Yeah. New season, new new feels all around. Of course, this is episode one of American Horror Story Apocalypse, season eight, titled The End. Um, before we begin, there's a few housekeeping things we need to go over, of course. First off... We love to interact with all of you, so please check us out on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Story. Shoot us your theories on Facebook Messenger. You can send your theories and questions via email to thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com. We're already getting great conversation. You can post on our wall, all that good stuff. And, of course, um, rate us and review us on iTunes. That's how people find us. Um, and it just continues to expand the community, which we very much appreciate. Before we really dive into – well, okay – before we dive into actually talking about the show, we, of course, need to um, kick off the season with whatever special drink you've got in hand. So what are you drinking to kick off American Horror Story Apocalypse? I'm a little classy today. I have a nice, refreshing glass of Pinot Grigio. I think <laughs> it's California. That's very classy of you. I'm classy as well. I'm drinking a Mezcal Negroni. So, Ooh, you know, delicious. We're, we're boozing it up for a... Uh, yeah, Thursday night. We are, yeah, because of that technical failure, unfortunately, we are recording on Thursday night, not Wednesday night, but we're just excited to get this podcast in your ears whenever we can. So, yep. speaking of which, our friend Chris here is getting married this Saturday, which means, mm-hmm. sadly, he will be watching American Horror Story from a warm beach somewhere in the Atlantic, Pacific. I don't even know which one you're going to. Pacific. In the Pacific. So, we'll so have, if we have any fans in Tahiti. Don't, don't fret. I've got something else special planned for you next week. The show will go on. We're going to make it happen, so do not worry in the least. 
So a couple things I wanted to touch on before we actually dive into the episode. First of all, I've been rewatching Murder House because I wanted because I love that season and it's been a long time and it after hearing some of the feedback from our preview episode, I realized how much I'd forgotten. Yeah. You okay, you did the you you did the better thing than I did. I went and watched YouTube videos that gave me recaps. <laughs> That is the more time-efficient way to do it. <laughs> I'm only on episode five right now. But I'm remembering, like, we had forgotten that Lily Rabe's character, for instance, was Charles Montgomery's wife and all this kind of stuff. So it's been helpful to get that kind of context again. Also, I forgot how much religious Im- imagery was even in that season. Mm-hmm. Um, very overtly, like, even even before you kind of get to the final Antichrist they're they're paving the way all the way there. You have the room in the murder house where they take off the wallpaper and it's got like all this apocalyptic imagery, yep. like paintings on the wall. You have Tate asking Violet if she believes in the devil, all this kind of stuff. So it's you got to think to some degree that they've been laying the way for this season for eight seasons. I guess seven seasons, so this is the eighth. And so I'm hopeful that we will see that reflected in the writing, that this is going to be more, you know, very well thought out, which is you know, a critique that we often present. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to point out is we've learned that this ep- uh, season is only going to, be, going to be 10 episodes. It's going to be the same length as, I believe, Roanoke. Okay. Yes, I think you're right. Was it, so yeah, it's Roanoke? going... Because I think nine? Roanoke was... Roan- was it even shorter? I thought it was six of the first weird part and then three of the other weird part. And by weird, I mean complimentary weird. Maybe it was you, four yeah. afterwards. You might be right. Either way, nine or ten. It, yeah, so close to one of the shortest seasons, regardless. So it, it's going to be tighter. We Unfortunately, that. that means less American Horror Story, but maybe that means tighter story. Right. Uh, the other thing I wanted to point out is that we already had a viewer slash listener present a potential plot hole in advance. Uh-huh. Amber emailed us on um, our, our Gmail address and noted that she was rewatching Hotel, and there's a flash forward in Hotel where they show the Devil's Night occur in 2022, and Billy Dean, played by Sarah right. Paulson, is in that flash forward. Now, we've been told up until this point, although they did not say it specifically in the episode, that the apocalypse occurred in 2019. Right. So that would be a little bit of dissonance. You know, we'll see how that plays out. But normally, they try to think through things, and especially considering this is supposed to be a connected universe, that seems like an er- a clear error of some kind but then again we already know that we're going to have weird timeline things because people who are dead are coming back to life so we're going to have right. to see how that you know works so without further ado we'll go ahead and dive into the end now let's talk about the cold open and i want to start by saying it's this episode is interesting because we don't you know this it's been teased up until now that we're going to get all these like old characters that we're so excited to see, and we don't really get any of them in this episode. None of them. Which, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that, but yeah, anyway. And that's one of my questions for you at the end. But I just think it's interesting because it's... I kind of respect American Horror... I mean, it's frustrating, but I respect them for it a little bit because sometimes I feel like the writers can go for the lowest hanging fruit, which would be like, oh, bring back... uh, You know, bring in a celebrity cameo. Bring in somebody you know. And in this way, it was a little bit more like... Hold, you know, holding it back, drawing you mm-hmm. in, making you hungry for it. And I kind of appreciated that. Um, let's recap then kind of the initial apocalyptic scene. 
It starts, obviously, we were introduced to Evan Peters' new character, Mr. Gallant, the hairstylist, and Leslie Grossman's Coco St. Pierre Vanderbilt. <laughs> we also get her servant, Mallory, Billy Lord, right at the beginning here. Of course, there's ballistic missiles heading to L.A., they're heading to London, they're heading to all over the world. It's kind of unclear exactly what initiated this. Right, um, did you get a, who's the culprit. Right. Um... We have some pretty, you know, tense moments. Like I thought the like with the newscaster, when you have the newscaster like talking to his family and stuff like that, it's like difficult. But at the same time they kinda of mix it you, there's funny moments. Coco's in like a funny character, and then her boyfriend Brock, played by Billy Eichner, is kind of a funny character. Um It's nice of to course see he, the two of them, even though they're not sharing a scene, uh, in the same space, like they are sharing a scene. It was nice to see them together again because they were hilarious in um uh the cult or cult. Yeah, I think that they're they're a good pair when they kind of play off of each other. Mm-hmm. I can only assume that Billy Eichner's character is maybe at the sanctuary and is going to show up later. I can't imagine that he was only a cameo for this very first. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I assume he's dead uh, based off of the <laughs> missile. But yeah, we might. I think we're supposed to see him again later. So he got somewhere. Yeah. I guess we'll see. We also are introduced to Mr. Gallant's uh Grandmother, played by Joan Collins, who seems to pretty much effectively be playing Joan Collins, um, who Dynasty. is already yeah. incredibly entertaining. Yes, she's great. She she she, be, she fits perfectly in this world. I was gonna say she might be my very very early Francis Con- uh, honorary Francis Conroy award, even though we have Francis Conroy appearing in this yeah. season. You know, one of those characters that's just such a scene stealer in that regard. Totally. Uh, and then, of course, you have the, you know, big moment happen where they get they board the plane, and you kind of have the tense moment where people are trying to, uh, you know, everyone's trying to get on the plane, they board the plane, and then there's no pilot for some reason. That part yeah, wasn't really... Yeah. How did it take off without a pilot? That was a question that I had. Um, but then they see the mushroom cloud from their plane, and it's not really clear how they get to their destination. So maybe the pilot was in the bathroom or something, and it was on autopilot for a second, because obviously they make it there eventually. My favorite part Still about this sinister. was, yeah, um, was when they realized that there's no pilots there, and Joan Collins, I'm gonna have to learn her character's name. She says, "Oh, no stewardess." <laughs> She's got those little lines peppered throughout this entire episode. It's terrific. Yeah, yeah. Although my favorite line of this whole episode is a funny one toward the end, but we'll save that we'll for get when there. we get there. Of course, then we dive into the opening credits now. What are your first impressions of these credits? Because you were texting me while you were watching them. I love them. It's so great. I mean, we're getting, you know, first of all, the music that's played. You know, we always get different renditions of the the theme song, uh, the credits, the title sequence uh, music. But this one was, to me, it was like stripped down a little bit more. There was clearly like, a, it's more of like a stand-up bass focused uh music I, I loved i loved it felt like a um kind of much more like dark down intimate which i love um and then it was really cool to see familiar images uh from mm-hmm. both coven and from murder house uh kind of spliced together in this new uh new new title sequence um and i also enjoyed that there was some new imagery a lot of religious imagery again a lot of biblical stuff uh, um, all a lot of those images are referential for that, and I really to to both the themes of Coven and of um, Murder House. 
but then we also get the the new context of time kind of disappearing, so like the candles melting and the explosion and stuff. I thought I think this might be one of my favorites. I really like it a lot. What did you think? I really enjoyed it as well. I mean, it's it's very much a throwback to kind of some of the classic ones we had early on in American Horror Story seasons. Obviously, like you said, we're bringing in familiar images, um, such as you know when I really. When it really clicked for me is when I saw that photo of the baby with like the flaming eyes. You know which one I'm talking about? From oh I think, yes, I think that's a murder house uh, credit sequence. I was like, oh, I remember all this stuff. Um, but it was, I don't know. It was it was creepy. It was it was good to kind of return to that because I know we've kind of departed a little bit from the traditional credit sequence the past couple of couple of episodes. So I'm glad that's back because I, I do feel like that's kind of a trademark part of the of the show. Right. Now when we start kick things back off, we're talking. You know, we're we're back 40 minutes before the bomb goes off, and we don't need to really go for this beat by beat. But I want to talk about some of these characters and the situations. We kind of mm-hmm. have our protagonist, so to speak, at least for this episode, who's guiding us through. You know, it's through his eyes that we're led into the world of, you know, life after the apocalypse, and it's this uh, kid Timothy Campbell who's played by Kyle Allen, um, who we had discussed as a newcomer in the preview episode. I believe he was on the uh, Hulu show The Path, um, but he might have been on some other th- things as well. But, you know, he's picked up by the military. Um, do you remember why he's picked up? I thought this was kind of a funny little detail. Uh, because he took a DNA test for Ancestry.com, and they realize he's got the uh, perfect genetics to be the subject that's going to live in this bunker. I thought that that was such a funny little thing to throw in because, like, it, it fits very much with, like, the modern paranoia of, like, well, what are they doing with my DNA when I spit in a tube and send it into yep. this company and all this stuff, you know what I mean? So I I appreciated that little detail of it, and there's kind of a, um, there's kind of a eugenics aspect to it, you know, which is a little bit of a throwback to Asylum and all the kind of work that Dr. Is it Arden That's was right. doing? Yep, I think so, yeah, Dr. Arden. So that's kind of interesting. And then we this is the first time that we hear about this mysterious society called the Cooperative, which mm-hmm. is something that reoccurs, and I have a feeling we're going to continue to learn more about the Cooperative as time goes on. Um, and, of course, you know, he gets taken to the facility. His family's left behind. The dad kind of makes the honorable, like, honorable choice, and he's like, you know, realizes the rest of the family can't go with him, but at least his son can survive. Um, and that's where he meets Emily, who's played by the actress Ash Santos. And when I was, from what I was reading, she hasn't really been in anything too significant. She's kind of a newcomer that we didn't even have on the radar um, in our preview. Right. I, didn't, I did not uh, uh, So that's kind of interesting that really. we get a little bit of a Romeo and Juliet type dynamic uh, moving forward. Uh, the and she she got picked up because she was in prison and because or jail because she had been protesting at Berkeley, right? Yes. So we have two young people. Obviously, my I had a little bit of issue with this as the the way they're setting it up. I was excited to see uh, oh wh- which other people are they finding that are genetically you know approved to go live in this. Um, safe house or bunker or whatever um, fallout shelter and we get you know the the you know leave it to beaver family and then we get the you know liberal berkeley college student it's and then as we find out as soon as we get into uh what do they call it shelter three or outpost three outpost three yeah it's all the whole class system is just translate it just transposed right back into outpost three and our audience surrogates are you know 
rich, educated people. And not that, you know, I think it's a missed opportunity. You know, I think the dynamic of pulling in someone, the poor person in this essentially is the assistant to a celebrity. <laughs> I just think it's a little missed opportunity. Well, and I think that they, they talk about it a little bit in the sense that you do have the people who paid $100,000 who maybe, or was it was even more than that, wasn't it? hundred million? I have the number somewhere in my notes here. But like the people effectively who don't, like who didn't deserve to be there, your Coco, your Cocos basically, who just paid to subsidize the people like Timothy and Emily who probably didn't, couldn't have paid their way in there, but they're the genetic right, perfections. Right, true. That's and right. then you've got your 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 servants, and it seems like class is go is going to be something that is you know commented Definitely. on throughout the season when you have kind of the you know um, the upper class wearing the purple, the color of kings, you know, and then you've got the mm-hmm. slave class wearing kind of the the gray, and you see those two get executed out front just as Emily and uh, Timothy yep. enter the compound and everything like that. So. Right. I, I get your concern, and I think that's totally legit. But I am curious to see how they treat because it, they are treating it as something they are going to address in this season. You know, we always they always pick some kind of social issue, some kind of political issue they're going to address, and it seems like maybe that's going to be addressed in one way or another. One thing I also want to talk about at this very beginning when they move into the compound for the first time is these like ha- the the black hazmat suits, like the one that um you know Kathy Bates wears. They're interesting because they have. The, the, first of all, they look like World War II masks that like you'd wear to avoid like being gassed in like well, or maybe even World War One from like mustard gas. You know what I mean? But they also right. have like these weird plastic beaks, and the and the beaks remind me of you know during the plague you would have these doctors that would wear these beak masks, and it was because they wanted to like create distance between them and their patients so they didn't get the fl- the plague mm, and they would put like herbs and different things in the like nose of this beak to, to kind of like ward off the germs or whatever they thought at the time but it very much reminded me if you look at these masks it it seems like a definite def, excuse me definite kind of um allusion to these these plague masks that the doctors wore back in that time um anybody who's ever played the uh, Assassin's Creed series <laughs> would remember them from the one they do in in Rome and stuff like that. But let's talk about um, well, also all the leather struck me too. Just thinking about Leatherman and everything like yeah, that. that's right. Yeah, that's why I, I had that um, impression as well. So let's talk about the bunker itself a little bit. Um, you know, you have your clean room at the very beginning. We meet, of course, uh, Venable, played by Sarah Paulson. What are your first impressions of this character? Uh, I loved her entrance. I thought it was really cool. You hear like the tapping of the cane, which is going to be her thing. It clearly is her thing. We hear it a lot through this episode. And then the way she comes into frame is shot really well. Um, and it's her. And we, we've seen one preview, at least one preview, of this season with Sarah Paulson as this character, Wilhelmina Venable. Uh, but her entrance as she approaches the 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 new two. Uh, I don't know what would we call them. They they almost seem like captives at this point. But um, mm-hmm. is it Timmy or Tommy? Uh, I have his name is Timothy. Okay, the kid, the white kid. <laughs> um, he the way that their banter back and forth was was really interesting. I thought, and we see Sarah Paulson as this commanding presence, almost like I assume we'll see her later when she comes back as. Um, oh my Cordelia. Gosh, I'm working on her name in Coven. Cordelia, mm-hmm. thank you. 
Um, and then she kind of gives us her intro and stuff like that. But it's a really cool, well shot. Bradley Buker was the director for this episode, who is a is a mainstay in the American Horror Story universe for, of directors. Uh, I like it. And that one thing I've noticed is the pacing of her her the cadence of her speech is uh, a little quirky or different this time. And I've never really noticed it, but. And I know it's a thing, but her lisp came through a little bit more. Uh, I, I I noticed. There's, I just never really hit me before. That being said, cool character. I'm interested to see how she plays out. What did you think of this character? For I her? mean, I think you make a great point where, you know, we were wondering in the preview episode, like, how are they going to distinguish these characters for the people who are playing multiple characters? And you already see that, I think, with her and with Evan Peters kind of making these characters that they're playing now have very distinct quirks personality traits you know different things um i think you know miss venable is already a very very interesting character you know you're wondering about how she got that injury she seems a little power hungry i have some more things i want to say about that later but uh yeah i'm excited to see exactly where they go with that a couple of other things i wanted to note about her introduction the first is that she, you know, when they're walking into the main hallway and there's the two curving staircases, she says that they used, this used to be an all-boys school. And I, I thought this right. when I saw it, and I, I saw people mention it on Twitter and different things as well. There's a lot of theories going around that this used to be the boys' version of the coven in New Orleans, basically. This is where maybe they trade, you know, taught oh, okay. wizards or warlocks okay. or something like that. I also thought it was funny that they have, they go through the whole thing about cleansing from technology again because... It's, yeah. you know... I was annoyed with that. We already know how they feel about technology. I feel like this has been we a little this. heavy-handed in past seasons, too. So this is... That was entertaining. Technology destroyed the world. Right. The other question is... So the, she lays out the rules. You can't leave because you can be, you know, infected with radiation. That's obvious. Um, that's... But, you know, they talk about a couple other things. Why is sex not allowed? Uh, this is where uh, the point in this episode where, where I thought this is a goddamn young adult novel now. Like, like you're selected, a young person selected to be part of something, and then there's these costumes and these rules, and of course they're going to break the rules at some point, and there's a cast of characters that you're going to meet. And we're, it's uh, This is like Hunger Games, Twilight, um, Harry Potter, uh, The Magicians. Like, it, it's... A lot of these things. Um, I assume that they can't have sex because they want to, A, just have power over these people and tell them they can't do things, which we kind of see later on, that there's this power trip happening. Or B, they only want you to have sex because they want to have a procreation of a child in some form, and they don't want to have it unplanned. Because then they don't then have give them a bowl of condoms or something like that. I mean, come on, we're adults. That's what yeah. I thought, too. I, yeah. <laughs> I, I totally agree with you that, that so there's a lot of masturbation sounds like we're going both frustrated by that point. <laughs> um, also, I thought like Timothy seeing six 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 appear on his shower door. That was like I rolled my eyes. I guess it's foreshadowing <laughs> of something, but it's like it, it, right. it's again it's one of those things that like a touch heavy handed doesn't really make sense. It's I, a young adult novel. It, it felt like a y- you're right. It felt like a YA dystopian novel a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, so let's talk about some of the other characters that are in the bunker along with them. We have Adina Porter's character, Dina Stevens. Uh, from my impression, she's she's basically Oprah. She's like an Oprah surrogate. Is that kind of what you understood too? It sounded like she was, yeah, she's a host of some sort because she made a joke about telenovelas that 
you know, in the competition or whatever. But we don't really get to know her too well in this. I didn't get a good idea of who she is yet, but that's kind of all, uh, as far as what we're, we're supposed to know, yeah, she was on TV and she seemed like a host. Well, and they talk about, yeah, and they talk about some self-help type stuff, and that's what made me kind of right, lean toward right, that. Right. Um, and then, of course, we have Stu, who's not long for this world. And then we've got... I love yeah. that. The Stu, Stu is so fun. That's the line I was talking about. Um, and the, no, 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 oh, that's okay. Sorry. <laughs> well, I'm and then we've got Jeffrey Bowyer Chapman, who we had talked about as well. I think he was from the show Unreal, who plays Andre, who, of course, is still alive at this point in time. Yep. Um, and then we have all our crew who was on the plane but it's worth noting that mallory was chosen to be a servant while everybody else in that plane for some reason including mr gallant who was just a hairdresser gets to be a part of the purple class so it's not really clear how you got to be part of which class at this point in time like unless it's just totally arbitrary picked by venable and miss mead well and um coco's um what's mallory is it uh, is um, Mallory, Billy yeah. Lord's character? Mallory a- asked her like, "Hey, when are you gonna talk to?" She asked Coco like, "Hey, when are you gonna try to you know hook me up and like not get get me out of these gray things?" And she's like, "I will work on it. I'm waiting on it." And she's like, "But Mr. Gallant," and she's like, "But I need my hair. <laughs> like, I can't ha- not have my hair done. I don't know." Um, but also, I would assume that Mr. Gallant's grandmother is clearly wealthy enough to. That Mr. Gallant didn't need to be... He wasn't at risk of being... In, in yeah, that's true. And okay, I have the number here. It was $100 million per ticket if you wanted to be... Pay for your purple robe, basically. And for your spot in the bunker. Don't you think, like, $100 million, you could just build your own goddamn bunker? <laughs> You'd think. And then you could have all the sex you wanted and eat better things than these weird vitamin-packed gelatin food. cubes. Which also seemed like a weird, like... Young adult. <laughs> I just... <laughs> Yeah, it totally is, right? It totally yeah. is. Um, what do you make of... Oh, a couple things here. What do you make of, like... So, obviously, they want to make the point that, like, the outside world is very dangerous. People are mutating into weird things. So that's something you have to be concerned about as, like, people penetrate the base and all this kind of stuff. The other outposts have been overrun. We get that message from the carrier pigeon. So, here's one of the mm-hmm. things that I noticed that I don't know if you noticed. Did you notice who one of our guards is in All Black? Oh, yes, I did. That's uh, Miss Amazon Hell yeah, Eve. it is. Amazon Eve from Freak Show. I love That was her. awesome. We didn't even know she was going to be so, back. She was a good... She was a... I was so happy to see her. Yeah, she was She was great in Freak Show, and that was a challenging show, or a, a season to watch, but she's awesome. So it, it was, was cool. Really cool yeah, that, that was, was unexpected, so I thought that was pretty badass. Um, we have the scene, obviously, where there's some kind of, like, they detect a spike in radiation, and... Mr. Gallant and Stu are taken to the rooms. They're like scrubbed with deck brushes and Stu subsequently killed. Which is, you know, obviously pretty fucked up. But then we have the scene with... Okay, so there's a couple things going in here. Miss mm-hmm. Mead and Miss Venable. It's my impression that they are having an illegal relationship. Is that how you understand it as well? So, that's what I thought. But I think, you know, when she... when. Um, Miss Mead takes off her black mm-hmm. cape and she's the wearing the dress. I didn't think about this till afterwards, but it was purple, so maybe they're just putting on the purple outfits and that's what the scandal mm-hmm. was. Okay. Not that they're having a relationship. 
But I initially, yes, I did think that they were having an illicit relationship. And I mean, clearly, you know, they're making it obvious. Oh, well, so here's one thing they, that surprised me is it sounds like neither, like, Stu hadn't actually gone outside. This was just some kind of, like, weird power trip they were using to freak everybody out and make them scared. Correct. Correct, yeah. Yep, they were trying to get rid of him. And the other thing, well, I don't know if this was the case or not, but after they handle Stu, Miss Mead is sitting at the table. So did they get rid of him so she could have a spot at the table? Or was she already at the table before? Because uh, that could be a reason why they killed him, too. That's a good question. I, I got the impression the reason they killed him was to, like, intimidate everybody, reinforce the rules that yeah. people can get killed this and easily. And the reason I think that is because you have this episode in which, especially Venable, talks about kind of, like, how, how like, she enjoys being the one in power. And Miss Mead, Kathy Bates' character, right. seems yes. to question that a little bit more. You know, she she's in, was in the military. She understands the military chain of command. But she has more ethics then have you i mean have you you've heard of the um stanford prison experiment from the 1970s yes yeah so this is what this reminded me of is this experiment that happened at stanford in which effectively you took a bunch of students and they were pretty much arbitrarily either given the assignment to be a prison guard or a prison inmate and to play those roles and it was there's nothing that determined it it was just like absolutely random and what ended up happening is the guards became super brutal. And it's kind of like, I guess the, the point of the experiment, I mean, I'm no sociologist, but the idea behind it was effectively that these, you know, power goes to people's head very quickly when they're put in a position to lord over others. And it seems like that's kind of what's happening with Miss Venable. I don't know if you got an impression as well. Totally. I mean, they've kind of defected from the, um, the, the cooperative in a way they're, on their own rogue making up their own rules like who knows is there actually like really good food there that they've just been hiding and they're making them eat these little jello like things vitamin jellos or was that part of it i don't know i i'm really thrown off by how much money was spent and no one thought to like make a pantry or you know so it may make more sense that they're just not allowing them to have access to all the stuff that you would put in a fallout outpost. Yeah. I'm wondering if it's just Venable being, you know, masochistic and if we'll get more, yeah, we'll get more normal stuff at the sanctuary. Um, of course, as a special treat, they get (laughs) stew. (laughs) The stew is stew is a pretty hysterical line. I have to say delivered on point by Andre. Um, also, that was really great. I love that too. It's the cheesiest line ever, but it was so perfect. It was it, it was really funny. And then the fact that Joan Collins' character doesn't give a shit and she's gonna eat it, it anyway <laughs> was was fantastic. That's peak yeah. camp there. Um, it, My question yes. for you. So, they they ask. Uh, Wilhelmina Venable if it actually is stew and she continues to eat it do you but doesn't outwardly say like no it's not but like like come on like we don't eat people that's like number one on the list of what something we're not going to do do you believe her do you think the stew is actually in the stew or was it uh, an actual chicken bone I think it was I had in the moment I really did think it was stew it re, thinking back on it it could have just been a mindfuck type thing 
Well, like also like a hundred million dollars a ticket, and you can't put a kitchen together. There's gonna be like even if you're making a chicken stew, like how did the bone get it? Who's cooking? Well, this? anybody. I, I agree with Joan Collins. Anybody who, saying, like, yeah. I want, Gordon Ramsay or anybody. anybody who's seen The Shining knows that you can you can stock a pantry with enough food to last you through the entire winter and everything like that. I mean, of course, we jump forward eighteen months after this when the music changes. Months. That was so funny. So then, like after the song, yeah. Changed. So then maybe if food was a problem, I mean, and it was a problem because they were they reduced their ration to one little jelly cube a day or whatever. Um, <laughs> but. It's jello shots. Yeah. <laughs> so everyone's freaking out because food's running out. And, you know, um, we have, you know, a little heavy handed, but still in an enjoyable way. Michael Landing, excuse me, Michael Langdon, the Antichrist, mm-hmm. the baby from eight years ago. So if that's 2019, that timeline is not quite accurate. Rides in um, with four horses. Uh, during a famine, two horses. Two, it's just two horses. He rides in with horses. It was just two during a famine. Yeah. Maybe there's two horses elsewhere in the carriage. That was spooky. I loved that. that was it was pretty carriage. badass. Also, I will say that Michael Fern, or sorry, Cody Fern, who's playing Michael Lang- Langdon, is absolutely creepy. Who's playing? <laughs> what the hair? Yeah, I enjoy him immensely already. I think that he's a terrific villain. I love it. He'll be great. I, I wrote. Excited. I wrote. Yeah. He's creepy as fuck. I love it. And also, the music that's played at this point in time, I'm pretty sure is from is from Murder House. I looked it up because I thought the same thing. It is 100 the same song from Murder House. So you were right. I mean, yes. I've been watching Murder House, so it's a little bit more recent for me. But so you, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he comes to be the savior to choose people. From the group to take to the sanctuary. So that's where our episode ends. It's like the next level, again, of a young adult dystopian series where, okay, you've made it this far, and now the next So here's the question for you. It's like Uh, the obvious next question. Who is not going to go to the sanctuary of who's left? I'm basing this off of how much I think this person was around (laughs) filming. And I don't think Joan Collins was around for like a whole season. I don't think so. So I, I don't think mm-hmm. she's going to make it. I'm assuming that Evan Peters is going to make it because he's a staple. I'm assuming, uh, uh, so I should use their character names, uh, Wilhelmina Venable will make it or find a way. to. There's there's going to be some cheating and, and, and deceptive actions, I think, to get in this spot. I think our main uh, white audience surrogate uh, character, Tim, the Campbell kid, Timothy, he'll, he'll probably mm-hmm. make it. Emily, and then I'm assuming Emily might make it too, but they might make it a tension and a tragic love story. I don't That's know. true. Um, I don't see I don't see anyone else really making it. You don't think you, like I don't think Coco you don't think Coco will make it. I mean, her character is. F- I would love it if she does because she's. Funny. Her character is fun, but it is somewhat one-dimensional. So I think she, you're right. I think that that's like, yeah. and that's kind of the same thing with Joan Collins, unless there's more layers there too. Um, and of course, we're going to be bringing in some of the other campy characters from Coven, so we might have too many kind of fun campy characters and under one roof to right. uh, to make that last. But that said, who knows for sure? I think Miss Mead's probably going. We're gonna get more Kathy Bates. Um, She's a big enough name. I would almost be, you know, what would almost seem more likely to me is that Mallory goes, Billy Lord goes, and Coco doesn't. 
Because that would create an interesting. That'd be cool. Or yeah, there's a shift, or there's a shift in the power structure where Mallory all of a sudden is on the higher end, and uh, Coco is in gray or whatever the next location is. Or yeah, or Coco just doesn't make it right. Yeah, and so then everyone's headed to the sanctuary, which inevitably is going to be where we're going to meet all of our murder house and coven characters. Yay. So, reflecting on everything, here's the question that I have for you initially. This episode tries to balance what I... or tries to set the tone for, I think, the rest of the season. They have the camp, they have the jokes, they also have the darkness. How do you think they did at it? I think they are... They've been somewhat successful so far as setting a tone. I think there are already some problems that I have. Namely, we opened with a very, you know, standard apocalyptic trope-filled sequence and scenes where we get to meet our characters in the quote-unquote real world. And that that was fine. I thought they did a decent job with that. But as soon as we got to the location... Um, I know it's an American Horror Story, and, and I was reminded it was American Horror Story when we started getting all the campiness of, like, here are the rules of the place. And and uh, the, the whole set, it just, I know I needed to suspend disbelief, but it's challenging the, off the first episode when I see them. I, I, just, I didn't have enough to latch on to uh, besides the acting and the characters, which are great. Uh, tonally, I still need some convincing. And I don't know how the silliness of Coven is going to match what um, Brian Murphy said as uh, the tone of Coven and Asylum. It's going to be it's going to be odd to me. I'm still into it, but I'm just not there yet. What do you think? I was pleasantly surprised with the tone. I thought that they balanced it somewhat effectively. There was funny moments, the stew is stew, those kind of things. But there was also some creepy-ass moments when, you know, Michael Langdon rides in on the horses. It's different things when they first get to the bunker, when you see the execution when they come in. Um, I'm glad they didn't linger for too long on the apocalypse happening. I thought that that was going to be the whole episode, and I'm glad it was mainly just the opening credits and we got to the bunker quickly. Um, I do agree with you in the sense that I feel like we are at risk of falling too much into YA dystopian tropes. And I would like to see those subverted in some fun ways. I like the, especially like looking at the, our little main characters here, the kind of like um, unrequited love between Timothy and Emily is like so cliche. I hope there's more to it than that. There's characters I'm excited about though. Specifically, I think Venable's a really interesting character. I think Miss Mead's an interesting character. I think Michael Langdon is an interesting character. Miss Mead is Kathy Bates channeling. Did you ever watch Orange is the New Black? I watched the first season. She's based. She's basically rocking the uh-huh. big boob yeah. look from Orange is the New Black. <laughs> anyway, continue. So, like, I, I think there's potential. I'm. They're gonna have to get rid of some of these characters that are in, you know, Station Three or whatever before they get to the sanctuary because we're gonna get in a situation where we have too many characters. Well, I agree, and I think um, you asked, you mentioned this earlier about was it a bummer that we haven't seen any of our familiar faces yet, our familiar characters? And from a storytelling perspective, 
it's smart not to see them yet, I think, because you want the audience to connect with the new people first. Because if you throw the familiar faces in immediately, we're gonna want to hang, we're gonna root for them or be, invest in them. And if there's a new person, they have to have a killer story, like a really great thing happening and a compelling narrative or emotional attachment for the audience yeah. to connect with. Otherwise, um, we're just gonna not care about them. So this is try. They're, they're trying to give us. A chance to have some emotional stakes for sure with these new people. And another thing I will say is that we had forgotten about um, Dina, uh, Adina Porter's character, Dina Stevens. Oh yeah, Diane. I think it's Diana Stevens. Diana. Oh, yeah. Or, yeah. Um, I think I think she's going to the sanctuary as well. I feel like they wouldn't bring that character in for just such a short period. I. She's become too big of a thing recently. I agree. And she doesn't have any other characters that are showing up um, in the season, like that she's reprising, right? right? So, yeah. So I think that she, so I think she'll continue right, on so too. We'll yeah. see her. Um, so before we kind of talk after this, wh- I'm trying to think of a good um, how we're going to measure the quality of episodes this season. Do you have any good ideas? I, I was just. Like, think we don't have anything. I've got it. I've got it. Oh, a vitamin stuffed gelatin cubes. I. That's what I was gonna say. Like, that's what we'll use for now. We can yeah. change it later yeah. if we want to. Yeah, we probably will because we'll get something better. But yeah. Uh, so out of five, do we do, do, we do five? Five. Yes. Thank you. Sorry, it's been a year. Um, I, you know, I. I love American Horror Story, and I'm actually very excited to see where this season goes. I think this is probably one of the weaker season premieres that I've watched, just because I still don't feel connected with a lot of what's happening, outside of being like, oh, I like these actors. So, I and I'm not trying to be too negative on it, because I, I did enjoy it. It was a fun hour. It was not as scary as some of the previous uh, season premieres have been. In fact, it wasn't really scary at all. There was some creepiness, sure. And, you know, it's American Horror Story, so we're, we go for campy before scary these days. Um, but I, I think of some of the stuff they did in Colt and some of the, the stuff they did in Roanoke when they kind of revamped the whole uh, series, and I thought that was good and, and different. So I'm, I'm hopeful for this season. Um, I like that there's a time jump. I think toward the second half of this episode, I started to get a little bored because I saw my characters being very bored, <laughs> being stuck in the place. That's true, yeah. Uh, again, I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. That's why I don't want to take this low score that I'm about to give as uh, as what I think about everything. This is just based off so far, based off previous premieres. I'm not judging. I think I give this three out of five. Gelatin um, cubes. Jello cubes. <laughs> You know, I think that that's actually a good score for you to give it because I'm going to take a different take and I'm going to hedge it with the okay. fact that I'm kind of a fan okay. of dystopian <laughs> like Dy- yeah. dystopian stuff like that's yeah, I'm that's I'm my jam. I I do think that the relationship between Timothy and Emily is super cliché and those characters are bland so far. That said, I like a lot of the other characters. I think the bunker's creepy. I enjoy that. I think that Michael Langdon is going to be great. I already am super excited. excited about Cody Fern. Um, and I'm excited to get to the sanctuary and see what's happening next and like have this like Hunger Games selection of who's going to go and who's not or whatever. So totally. I'm going to yeah. – you said you gave it three. I'm going to give it four. 
I think it's for me it's a solid okay. four. So that's you know that's seven out of ten. It's not the best we've given, but it's 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 solid. Bad. Not the lowest, not the best, not really the middle, but it's uh again mine's an optimistic it's a, yeah. degree. Meaning I, I I'm starting it low because I'm. Hoping I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Which I I know. Uh, the other thing I wanted to present before we kind of sign off here, I well first of all I did not watch the preview for next episode. Did you? It didn't show up on my, in my DVR recording. It cut off right when the credits started. So I okay, so it. then I I didn't see it on the um, when I was watching on the live stream either. So I don't know if it ended up coming out or not. But what I was thinking about, and I, this is a theory, when I was trying to Google who Emily was, um, this uh, what did I say her name was Amy Santos, Ash Santos. Sorry, Schumer. Um, there's some theories online because this character's name is Emily and would be around the same age. And this is the character Emily, who was the daughter of Adina Porter's character in Roanoke, who had ran like who disappeared and she was never able to find her. <sighs> and that was kind of an unsolved thing. That seems a little bit random. Yeah. So that <laughs> seems a little bit random. But I will say that we had some discussion in the preview that there are some hopes that this is going to be effectively the um, Avengers of Infinity War of American Horror Story, where we're going to link all the universes. <laughs> and I yeah. think that that's... I would still not put that quite out of question. I wouldn't be surprised if on the heels of that, of Infinity War, they're looking to do something similar with this. And so... You know, we know that they pay attention to names. We know that Brad, Ryan Murphy and Brad Falchuk pay attention to names. So I think it's something to be yep. aware of, at sure. least, going into episode two and so on. So with that said, do you have any final thoughts before we kind of sign off? I have nothing. I can hear my two nieces just showed up at the house. Well, so you better get it. running. So uh, we will miss Chris next week, but he will be back in week three. Um, like I said, we'll be on next week, so don't worry about that. Between now and week three, Chris, where can people follow you and see all your beautiful photos of the beach? I was like, you, uh, like where can people find you? You can find me in Tahiti, Morea, and Bora Bora. So if we have any listeners out there, tweet me or Instagram me at Chris Husted. That's Chris with a K. <laughs> that <laughs> sounds like lovely. Me. You can find me not in those awesome places, but catch me on Twitter at TJMoss11. Thank you guys so much for watching and for listening, and we will catch you next week. Happy Hauntings. <laughs>